Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. A place where, just because you can swim in it, doesn't necessarily mean you should. On Friday, the Rhode Island Department of Health urged the closure of several beaches in Foster and Kingston. The recommendations were sparked by high levels of bacteria measured at the sites. Among other recommended closures, Swimmers have also been encouraged to avoid Warwick Pond, which is currently home to a host of blue-green algae blooms. You can keep your eye on beach closures at the Rhode Island Health Department website. August marks the 56th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act an act that never would have happened without the tireless work of black civil rights leaders across the country. Clifford Montero is one such activist. At 83, he spent more than 60 years fighting for equal voting rights in Rhode Island. Now retired in Florida, he continues to fight for equal opportunities in sectors like housing, the courts, and education. He's earned himself an honorary doctorate of humanities from Roger Williams University and the title of history maker from the Rhode Island Historical Society. He's also a friend of mine. I joined him on a trip back to Selma, Alabama in 2015, 50 years to the day after he marched there with Martin Luther King Jr. My conversation with Clifford Montero after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. In 1963, when more than 200,000 people took part in the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, Clifford R. Montero was there. And he was there in 1965 when the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge, marching for voting rights in Selma, Alabama. He served as president of the old Congress 
of racial equality, and he was president of the Providence branch of the NAACP for a decade. He also worked as a Providence police officer and deputy sheriff. Clifford Montero, thank you for sitting down with me today. Thank you for having me, Ed. I can't tell you how good it is to see you here today. Uh, We haven't gotten together since before the pandemic. And, you know, one of my favorite experiences as a journalist was going with you when you returned to Selma 50 years to the day when you marched over that bridge with MLK. So could you tell our listeners what you saw when you crossed the bridge in 1965 and what it was like to return there in 2015? Well, it was very frightening because um, there were signs all over the place that Dr. King was a communist and that we were communists and trying to overthrow the government just to get our right to vote. And the group was multiracial, and I was very fortunate that that first day I was assigned to Dr. King with a two-way radio, um, a walkie-talkie. You were doing security, I was security, his communications right? with him, yeah. I was his communications. Um, so if a problem developed, I would communicate back to the base what the problem was. Uh, this was an era when there weren't any cell phones. And if there were phones, there were car phones. And they were not anything to carry on you. But um, I went over with pride in participating. But when you saw the Confederate flags and you saw the families yelling and spitting at you and screaming, it was like I had not seen that kind of hatred. It was um, you, you were happy that you were participating, but it was terrible that people were trying to injure you. And it were trucks and trucks and trucks and trucks. And it were pickup trucks. There were all kinds of trucks. And they were waving flags and screaming. It was like, uh, you know, it was frightening. But because you believed in what you believed, and you knew that every American should have the right to vote, and that you had to risk your life for this. Now, on that march, two people had already died. Jimmy Lee Jackson had been killed by the state police in Alabama, and Reverend James Reed, a Unitarian minister from Boston, Massachusetts. So he risked his life and died because he was trying to assist, as a religious leader, the right of everyone having the right to vote. Talk to us a bit, too, about what it was like to return to Selma in 2015. Because I remember when we flew into Alabama, there, there, was, there were reports in the paper there about how the Ku Klux Klan had just distributed like 4,000 flyers with rocks attached as paperweights uh, throughout Selma and Montgomery. And you had some concerns about going back there, didn't you? I had never returned because I came home and I had nightmares. And people don't understand that the civil rights movement makes a permanent mark on your brain. It stays with you. You don't live. You don't lose the fear. You don't lose the nights of sleep, the sweats, etc. And then loud noises were, 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 were um, because during the march, um, you were kind of like, by yourself, even though you were thousands of people, because you're looking around trying to see who's going to be shooting and what's going on. And so when, you, when we returned, you know, I'm still in 1965 in my head, although it was 2015. In my head, 
I'm reliving all the things that happened to me. So all these things were in my mind. And then when we went to register to vote, people were beaten up by the law enforcement agency. So I wasn't feeling 100% comfortable going back to Selma. Right around that time in 2015 when we were there, then-President Obama had recently visited the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and he had said, you know, we, we know the march is not yet over. There are more bridges to be crossed. So I, I wanted to ask you today, how far do you think we've come since 1965, and what do you see as the bridges that still have to be crossed when it comes to civil rights? Well, I think the opposition is heavily organized and has a game plan and I think the game plan started during the Reconstruction period of the Civil Rights Movement. And I think when they have taken on, and we look at the former president, number 45, what he did to federal court appointments, and what the Democrats have not done on federal appointments. There's hate in this country that I think has been always there, but never as public as it is today. Hmm. Hatred has been able to open up the door, put the light on it, and it's saying, you can't kill us. Hatred is saying, we're going to win. Yes, we've made progress. I've had a black president. I've had a black vice president. But when you look at the voting problems that we had in 65 are far more complicated today. The Republican Party has decided that they're going to make sure that people don't vote in America. And the, the basic premise of our country is that people vote, people participate, and we're trying to get people to vote, and now you're putting up barriers. And in 1965, I thought we would have ended that with the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 65. But apparently there are some people who are still legally fighting elimination of integration and elimination of people of color voting in this country, and they can't win. Just to bring it back to Rhode Island, I, I don't know if you've kept up on it, but there's been a proposal, there's a campaign called Let Rhode Island Vote that will lower barriers to using mail ballots, uh, expanding early voting, uh, even allowing uh, same-day voter registration. What do you think of ideas like that for Rhode I Island? I think that everybody in this country should have an opportunity to vote. This country has lied when they said women. First of all, we did w w white men with property. And then we did white men. And then we did um, black people. But th that didn't take place until 1965. We thought we had accomplished everything. And this is the American dream, participation in the American dream. And... Places, not only, even in Rhode Island, I was very upset when Rhode Island uh, passed the voter identification. And my mother lived in housing for the elderly. Voting was done in housing for the elderly. And my mother had to show her ID in voting, and she was working on the polls. And so how ridiculous is that? Um, and what happens to those people that never drove, and they had to go get state identification cards? No, it was done to stop people from voting and making the hardship on it. And to me, that's the basis of racism to me. Um, because the people who have suffered the most 
are black people or poor white people who don't own property. Calls to defund the police have continued since the killing of George Floyd. How do you reckon your role as a former police officer with the current Black Lives Matter movement? I am a member of the NAACP, and the NAACP is the organization that has brought about change in this country, and I believe that everybody should participate, and I believe all these organizations should do what they want to do. But the organization that I lean to for my leadership is the NAACP. I think many groups are making terminations and making emotional statements without analyzing the situation. Um, when I saw George Floyd killed, I, I, I had never seen a public lynching, and that was a public lynching to me. And in law enforcement, I knew there had to be correction. In May, you were honored as a history maker by the Rhode Island Historical Society, which recognized you for, quote, decades of taking a stand in Rhode Island, working tirelessly to increase access, opportunity, and equality. One of the issues you focused most on uh, was fair housing. So could you tell us a bit about uh, how you got started with the mov that movement back in the 60s? So I recognized the importance of housing. And I recognized the discrimination in housing because I was like five years old, and somebody called and said, we don't want you living on Roger Williams' land. And they said the N-word. And I said to my mother, what's the N-word? I asked her what the word meant. And my mother sat down and explained to me. And then um, people dropped garbage in front of our house. My mother would go through the garbage, opened it up, found an envelope with their name, took my sister and I, she was like 14, 15 months younger than me, by hand, walked up to... Uh, the house rang the doorbell and said, this is your garbage, don't leave it in my house anymore. And it didn't happen, so my mother taught me direct action. Hmm. So housing is critical, and I knew that. And when I was in high school, I was class president for the three years in Hope High School when it was only like 10% people of color. And I learned to communicate with people. And then um, Citizens for Fair Housing, a group, was demonstrating in the state house. I went up to the demonstration, and I became very active in that. And that was while I was in high school. And I joined the NAACP, but I had been involved with the NAACP through voter registration earlier. But then uh, the fair housing became my issue. You know, you're 83 now. What message would you give to the next generation of civil rights leaders here in Rhode Island? I want them to do what they think is right. And my advice would be to stay nonviolent because when you introduce violence into the situation, violence becomes the issue. And you need to talk about social change, and it's not something that's going to be done today, tomorrow, next week. You have to make a commitment to your life. And many times you'll be offered money, and you're going to have to reject the money because sometimes that money compromises who you are and what you want to be. And so you cannot let money influence you. Don't let money make decisions for you. Be right and do things that's good for everybody, not just yourself. If you make a decision uh, that someone's going to hire you to do something and that decision doesn't include opening the door for other people, then that's wrong. And so I want people to think about what they do and how that helps or hurts other people. Clifford Montero, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. 
And thank you for having me. And um, I'm happy to be your friend and you're my family. Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globe, Rhode Island. Leaders of Lifespan and Care New England say they're about two months away from completing their merger application. Follow along on our website as we continue to cover this developing story. While you're there, check out Alexa Gagas' Q&A with actress Rose Weaver, who is retiring to Georgia after five decades in the Rhode Island art scene. And... Read Brian Amaral's report on the two local organizations picked by the City of Providence to develop a new behavioral crisis program. The program seeks to divert certain emergency calls to professionals like social workers instead of activating police response. Find all these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering this week by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. If you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next Thursday. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.